When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, there's a, an entire fascinating science to river and stream structure, and with so many implications for understanding how these structures and mechanisms affect fish population, occurrence, behavior, and even ecology, it's well worth studying for aquarium interpretation. Do a little Googling out there. There's a lot of really great information out there and scholarly research. Now, we love leaf litter beds, right? Leaf litter beds form in what stream ecologists call meanders, which are stream structures that form when moving water in a stream erodes the outer banks and widens its valley, which is the inner part of the river, it has less energy and it deposits silt or, in our instance, leaves. Now, did you get the part where I mentioned the lower energy parts of the water courses tend to accumulate leaves and sediments and stuff? Yeah, it's logical, right? And it's also interesting because as we know, fishes and their food items tend to aggregate in these areas as well. And embracing the theme of a litter or botanical bed or even, you know, your wood placement in the context of a stream structure in the aquarium is kind of cool. You could build a pond structure and replace leaves and botanicals in this little you know framework you've created like indefinitely sort of like what happens in meanders in those streams in nature the wind and the rain also help affect the depth and the flow rates of the waters in this region with the associated impacts that i just mentioned as well as their influence on stream structures like submerged logs sandbars rocks etc etc stuff meaning leaves and bottom materials on the bottom gets redistributed constantly is there an aquarium analog for these processes? Well, sure. We might move things around now and again during maintenance or perhaps current or even the fishes themselves act to redistribute and aggregate botanicals and leaves in different spots in our aquariums. And how we structure the more permanent hardscape features in our tanks has a profound influence on how botanical materials can aggregate. So rather than covering the entire bottom of your tank with leaves, would it be cool to create some sort of hardscape structure with, you know, driftwood or whatever to retain or keep these items in one place to sort of create a framework for a long-term organized, specifically placed leaf litter bed? Perhaps. The composition of bottom materials and the depth of the channel in streams are always changing in response to the flow in a given stream, affecting the composition and the ecology in a lot of different ways. I'll probably state this idea more than once today because it's really important. Now, every stream is unique. Although there are standard structural or functional elements common to many streams, each stream is essentially a kind of a one-off, a custom response to local, ecological, topographical, meteorological, and biological factors. Permanent streams will often have volume and material composition, usually fine-packed sands and gravels with lots of smooth stones, more so than uh, more intermittent streams, which are the result of inundation caused by rain or whatever, or even so-called ephemeral streams, often packed with leaves and lighter sediments, which typically occur only immediately after rain events, 
which means they usually don't have fish in them unless they're washed into them from more permanent water courses. The latter two stream types that I just mentioned are typically more affected by leaves, botanical debris, branches, and materials like the igarapes, the canoe ways of Brazil. Little channels and rivulets which come and go with the seasonal rains. And then there's those flooded igapo forests that we obsess over. In the overall Amazon region, a region I, you know I was headed back that way, right? It sort of works both ways, with rivers influencing the surrounding land and then the land giving some of the material back to the rivers. The extensive lowland areas bordering the river and its tributaries, known as varzeas or floodplains, are subject to annual flooding, which helps foster enrichment of the aquatic environment. Much of them, much of these materials come from trees. Yeah, trees. The materials that comprise the tree are known in ecology as alochthonous material when you're studying uh, water bodies because this is something that's imported into an ecosystem from outside of it. Extra points if you could pronounce that on the first try, right? And of course, in the case of trees, this also includes leaves, fruits, and seed pods that fall or are washed into the water along with the branches and the trunks that topple into the stream. You know, the stuff that we kind of obsess over around here, right? Although many streams derive their food base from leaves and organic matter, there's a lot of other material present that contributes to its structure. Think along those lines when you're scheming your next aquarium. Ask yourself what factors would contribute to the bottom composition in the area that you're taking inspiration from. It's interesting to consider the main components of a stream to get a better picture of how it forms and functions. So what are the key components of streams? Well, there's the top end of a stream where its flow begins, essentially its source. The bottom end of a stream is known as its mouth. In between, the stream flows through its main course, also known as a trunk. Streams gain their water through runoff, the combined input of water from the surface and subsurface. Streams which flow over stony open bottoms, free from natural obstacles like tree trunks and stuff like that, tend to develop a rich algal turf on their surfaces. You've probably seen this a lot. Well, not something a lot of hobbyists like to see in their tanks, with the exception of you and Buna guys and weirdos like me. Algae-covered stones and rocks are entirely natural and an appropriate setting for the bottom of many aquariums. Enter a tank with that in the next international aquascaping contest and watch the ensuing judge freakout it causes, right? But really, grazing fishes, of course, will feed extensively on or among these algal films and they'd be logical choices for a stony bottom-themed aquarium. When we think about the way natural fish communities are assembled in rivers and streams, it's almost always as a result of adaptations to the physical environment and, wait for it, food resources. Now, not everyone wants to have algae-covered stones that, you know, or a, or a mass of decomposing leaves on the bottom of their aquariums. I totally get that. However, I think that considering the role that these materials play in the composition of streams and the lives of the fishes which inhabit them is important and entirely consistent with our goal of creating the most natural, effective aquariums for the animals that we keep. As a hobbyist, you can employ elements of these natural systems in a variety of aquariums using any number of readily available materials to do the job. And let's face it, pretty much no matter how we escape an aquarium, no matter how much or how little thought and effort we put into it, our fishes ultimately will adapt to it. They'll find places that they're comfortable hiding in, the places they like to forage, to sleep, and to spawn. It doesn't matter if your scape consists of carefully selected roots or seed pods or plants or driftwood or simply a couple of clay flower pots and a few pieces of egg crate. Your fishes will make it work. 
As aquarists, observing, studying, and understanding the specifics of streams is a fascinating and compelling part of the hobby because it can give us inspiration to replicate the form and, more important, the function of them in our tanks. Now, you're likely also aware of the fact that we're crazy about small, shallow bodies of water around here, right? I mean, almost every fish geek is like, I don't know, genetically programmed to find virtually any random body of water irresistible, especially those little rivulets and pools and creeks and the aforementioned forest streams, the kinds which have an accumulation of leaves and botanical materials on the bottom, darker water, suburb branches, all that stuff, you know, the kind where you're going to find fishes. Happily, such a, you know, habitats exist all over the world and they leave us no shortage of inspiring places to attempt to replicate, like pretty much everywhere you look. In Africa, for example, many of these little streams and pools are the home to some of my favorite fishes, killifishes. As I mentioned before, many of these little jungle streams are really shallow, cutting you know, gently through the accumulations of leaves and forest debris. Many are seasonal. The great Killy documenter or collector, Colonel Jorgen Scheel, precisely described the water conditions found in their habitat as, and I quote, I'm reading from the paper here, rather hot, shallow, usually stagnant, and probably soft and acid. Well, aha, we, we kind of knew this, and we know that territory really well, don't we? I think we do. And understanding this type of habitat has lots of implications for creating really cool biotope-inspired aquariums. And why not make them for killifish, right? So for the most part, these fishes are often found in very shallow jungle streams. Well, how shallow? Well, reports that I've seen have stated that they're as shallow as two inches. That's about five centimeters. That's really shallow, seriously shallow. And quite frankly, I'd call that more of a rivulet than a stream. And then there's that virtually still with a barely perceptible current. That was one description. That kind of makes my case. What does that mean for those of us who keep, you know, little nano aquariums? Well, it gives us some inspiration, right? Ideas for tanks that attempt to replicate and study these compelling shallow environments. Instead of trying to do a big old grandiose scape in a little tank, replicate a very tiny forest pool or stream, right? Now, look, I don't expect you to set up, a, you know, a tank with water level that's two inches deep. And although it would be pretty cool for more of us, perhaps a three and a half to four inch depth is something that could work. That's about what, in nine to 10 centimeters. Yeah, totally doable. There are some pretty small commercial aquariums that aren't much deeper than, you know, eight inches. That's about 20 centimeters. And you could probably adapt other containers for this purpose that we all do. I did growing up. We could do, you know, do this with some very interesting South American or Asian habitats too. Shallow tanks, deep leaf litter beds, and even some botanicals for good measure. How about a long, low aquarium like the you know, the, the 60 centimeter varieties, which are like 24 by 12 by seven. You'd only fill this tank to a depth of around five inches, but you'd use a lot of leaves to cover the bottom. Yeah, to me, one of the most compelling aquatic scenes in nature is the sight of a stream meandering in the forest. There's something that calls to me, beckons me to explore, to take note of its intricate details and to replicate some of its features in the aquarium. Sometimes literally, or sometimes just taking components that I find compelling and utilizing those. An important consideration when contemplating such a replication in our tanks is to consider just how these little forest streams form in the first place. Typically, they're either a small tributary of a larger system with a path carved out by rain or erosion over time. In other situations, they may simply be the result of an overflowing you know, tributary during the rainy season. And as the waters recede later in the year, they evolve into smaller and smaller streams meandering through vegetation. Those little streams fascinate me. In Brazil, 
As I'd mentioned before, they're known as Igarape, derived from the native Brazilian Tupi language. The descriptor incorporates the world's Igara, which means canoe, and Ape, which means way, passage, or road, which literally translates into canoe way, a small body of water which forms a route navigable by canoes, a literal path through the forest. It's pretty cool. These interesting little tributaries are shaded by trees at the margins and often cut for many kilometers through dense rainforest. The bottoms of these tributaries, formerly forest floors, are often covered with seed pods, twigs, leaves, and other botanical materials, and the vegetation above and surrounding them. Although Igapo forests are characterized by sandy, acidic soils that have low nutrient content, the tributaries that feed them are often found over a fine-grained, whitish sand. So as an aquarist, you have a lot of options for substrate materials. In this world of decomposing leaves, submerged logs, twigs, and seed pods, there's a surprising diversity of life forms which call this milieu home. And each one of these organisms has managed to eke out an existence and thrive. A lot of hobbyists not familiar with our aesthetic taste will ask what the fascination is with throwing palm fronds and seed pods into our tanks. And I tell them that it's a direct inspiration from nature. Sure. The look is quite different than what's been proffered as natural, you know, over the years. But I guarantee that if you donate, you know, Donda snorkel and waded into one of these habitats, you'd understand exactly what we're trying to represent in our aquariums in a matter of seconds. Streams, ribulus, whatever you call them, they beckon us, they compel us, they challenge us to understand and interpret nature in exciting new ways in our aquariums. Think differently, expand your horizons. Stay curious, stay creative, stay brave, stay studious, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Ten and Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tint.